Here, let me try again. Thanks for sharing durable trades with Rory Groves. Bye. <laughs> you said it. I said with. With Rory Groves. Thanks for sharing Durable Trades by Alan. (laughs) Outtakes. Rory Groves. I'm just going to put that in there. (laughs) You should should make that first part the uh, intro. (laughs) Hey, everyone. This is Socratic Hobbits, a podcast where Kyle Morse and me, Daniel Hayward, try to ask big questions and then answer them. Sometimes we stay on topic. Thanks for listening. Uh, yeah, how are you doing, man? Doing well. That's good. A little bit sore after the last week. But... Oh, yeah? What did you do this last week? Um, well... Basically went from laying around reading or playing games to either running to play frisbee or doing jujitsu. The jujitsu man, that'll get you. And the and the frisbee and basketball too. Oh yeah, seems like you're pretty active. That's really uh, surprising to me. We've got through 28, and I think that one was 25, which means we either need to take some time off. Or I, I don't know. I kind of, I don't know how much I like having it this far out. It's like eight weeks at this point. Oh, I see what you're saying. Or because it's like we like... talk about it and then, <laughs> and then all of the, all the people don't hear, hear it for we like could, I mean, we could months. do it once a week for once a week or I could, yeah, I could do for the uh, first part of this year at least. Yeah. Okay. We we'll do that. Up, then go at least I, I don't mind week. being like a couple weeks ahead where. Like uh-huh. if this were posting in two weeks, that would be fine. Or two weeks from this Friday, I would right. feel like I would feel like that was good. So we've got if we do every every week, we've got into the first week of February. So let's see. So we've got one posting this. Yep, should do. This is twenty. This is twenty nine, and we have through twenty eight. So twenty five is the seventh, twenty sixth, twenty seventh, twenty eighth. This will be the fourth of February. Okay, so we're a month ahead. Um, I did have, I had a hard time finding, so you sent me that, that book. Um, what's yep. it called again? Durable trades, durable trades. Um, I was like, one of the things I like to do, by the way, that picture is straight from Unsplash. It is very familiar to me. I have used it. Uh huh. I just thought that was kind of funny on the yeah, cover. That doesn't surprise me. Um, why pay for something when you can get it for free? Right. Yep. Um, in any case, the I, I was looking for a criticism of this and I couldn't find any. Nobody had anything bad to say. Really? And it's been out it's been out for more than a year. Did you look at Amazon? Uh I'm at a real criticism, not just a review oh. of it. Like I was looking for a rev- a full review of the book and I I found a few positive ones. Uh-huh. But and even most of them on Goodreads were positive. No, I didn't look at Amazon. Have you looked at the Amazon reviews and they're yeah. middling? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. There, there are some like very high praise reviews, and then there are some. This, this guy's a terrible bigot reviews. Oh, why do they think he's a bigot? Um, because he thinks that 
being homosexual is immoral. Does he say that in the book? I don't know. I haven't really read it. I don't really view it as a book to read. Okay. So much as a book to use more as like a resource. He's like, hey, hey, here's how you should be an electrician. Also, being gay is wrong. Um, you know, he, I, I don't I don't really see that in there. That might be in the first, from what the, I've read of the reviews, the first couple of chapters. He yeah, kinda... it's in the first couple of chapters. He, he's okay. just, I mean, he's he's kind of a bit of a downer about the whole modern globalized economy. Um, and, so, and so, so he, he could have called this as this is the world is round as opposed to the world is flat. What is that? Oh, it, never mind. Never I missed mind. I missed something. The there's this book called The World is Flat and it's uh-huh. like really big on how connected everybody is. Okay. And, and anyway. But you know what? N- next joke will be better, promise. Well, I mean, kind of his premise is that the Industrial Revolution brought us a lot of really great things, but it also um deconstructed a lot of the uh the the result of a lot of people going to factories in cities was the deconstruction of family and community structures that historically had been really value valuable to people. And so he's, he worked as a computer programmer for a few years, um, hmm. got laid off a couple times. Basically he started like right at the dot com crash was when he graduated oh. from school. Yeah. That's a, that's a good time to graduate and get yeah. a job in computer programming. And so his story, if you look at their blog is, um, Oh, what's the name of his blog? It is thegrovestead.com. His name is Alan Grove. But anyway, he went from being a software developer to he and his family started like gardening on their property. Mm-hmm. And then after they'd had a couple of kids, they thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we bought an old farmhouse and basically became farmers? And so they did it and they're still doing it. And mm-hmm. um, he, he'll do some like consulting work every once in a while as a programmer. But by and large, their income is from um, selling stuff at farmers markets, uh, doing workshops on how to be a farmer, how to be yep. a small scale farmer, as you can probably see on the blog there. And mostly, then, I just picked on the, I clicked on the picture of the. They've got a kitten. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just uh, published this book in the last year, as you mentioned, and. My curiosity with the book was just he makes he made a or he or someone made a comment about how the list of trades is kind of interesting to go through and um, look at and basically go what looks appealing to you and and why and mm-hmm. what looks appealing to specifically not just you as a person but your family and why because he goes through this book. Um, not just looking at trades from the perspective of um, does it make you a bunch of money, but he has he has a few different criteria. Um, one is the historical stability. So how long has it been around and how much does it fluctuate? Um, resiliency, which is how, how stable is demand? Uh, family-centeredness, which would be basically how well can you your family be involved in it? Yeah, that was something that I was kind of, when I was reading blurbs about the book, that was really interesting to me was, can you, you know, there was, I think there was a, 
I don't know if it was just a blog post or somebody just talking about it, but mm-hmm. um, somebody who had a business being a piano teacher and then also tuning pianos. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, that was something, one of the reasons they picked that was because their children could help them at a pretty young age. Right. And that was really interesting to me. I, uh, nobody I know has ever talked about, uh, that heuristic or that lens to see things through. Can my, you know, when we have kids, can they help me with this? Right. So that's super interesting. And, yeah. and that is probably the most interesting or, or unique part of the way he looks at it. the other things are income and ease of entry. So can you support oh. yourself and how, what's the runway to start it? Yeah. And one of the other things that he asked, which I think would have been super helpful to me uh, as I was entering the workforce was, can I get into this without going into debt? Yeah, so that kind of goes back to his success factors on his, in a, in one of the first chapters. Um, I guess that's chapter two. He lists out. Let's see here. He has nine success factors. He didn't quite get to the uh, magic, magic ten, ten, but um, how unfortunate! I know. If only he could have like shoehorned in an extra one there, just or fluffed it. Why didn't he fluff it? Did he not think about it? I know. How how long is the book as it is? Um, the book is, I mean, like 300 pages. It's about 300 pages, but most of it, what's that? I said, surprise, surprise. Yeah. Most of it is just a couple pages on each of these 61 trades that yeah. he, okay. that he views as having lasted for over a couple hundred years, basically. Could you read us uh, after, after I want to hear like a handful of the trades? Yeah. Maybe not, maybe not yeah. all of them. I was def I, I definitely have that marked. And then, um, but first I wanted to read the different success factors he, he had since you mentioned the debt thing. Sure. Um, that plays right into this. So his first uh, factor is having a passion for work. Of course, we've all heard um, about the importance of loving what you do. Um, and so that's basically that the second thing is another thing we've all heard, but it's good to remind ourselves and really drive this point home is to seek mentors. The idea being we can only learn so much from a textbook, a podcast, uh, a YouTube video. It's whoa, whoa, whoa. really let's helpful not, to let's not throw podcasts. <laughs> you can come on the podcast and be uh, counseled by us. And, and then, you're, <laughs> then, you're, then you're getting mentored. That's the worst. Maybe not the worst, but you can't you can't afford our rates. <laughs> anyway. Unless you can. <laughs> In which case you can email me. Yeah. <laughs> um, moving right along. There is working towards ownership. So instead of being someone who's being just paid a standard wage, you own a share of the profits. Yeah. Something uh Naval talks about is uh, you have uh, really minimal downsides as a laborer, uh, but your mm-hmm. maxima max your upside, excuse me, is maximized pretty low. Right. Whereas you definitely have more risk as an owner of equity, but your upside is unlimited, and the difference between like 
your upside is way outsized compared to the downside. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's, that's something that we've heard before. Right. Yeah. And it was interesting actually over the, over break, I was talking to one of my wife's cousins and, and he mentioned how his, his work actually doesn't just, so it's not just that he has a salary, but he knows the cap to the bonus structure also. Huh? Like they just tell, tell them this is the max amount of money that you could possibly make. Hmm. That doesn't seem fantastic. Yeah. It it struck me as odd too, but it's kind of funny because I, as I was asking about that, he said, Oh, but I mean, you know, you'll never even get, get there. Or that it's unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, the best year, the best year I've ever had, um, the business did, the, be- the year the business the best it ever has, we didn't come close to getting to that max level. Is that maximum super high? No. Huh. It's, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's it's around what both of us make. Yeah, that's uh, that's tough. I mean, I know, so I was talking with uh, my dad actually about, about my job at, mm-hmm. you know, and he was, he's I, he kind of, I don't know what sparked the question, but it was like, what? you know, what were you, what were you making? Like, what's the difference between what you're making now and, and the company I started at, right? Uh, which is a bread company and I worked for their accounting department. And I was like, I was making, uh, I mean, I guess, I don't know. Do you think it's unwise to say how much it was like five years ago? I mean, it's up to you. I mean, you can say what you're making right now on the podcast. You can always edit it out. I sure can. <laughs> Yeah. So right now I'm making, uh, but, <laughs> but at Franz, I was making $20 an hour. And I remember asking my boss, my manager, what do I have to do to be like, what's the next step? How do I grow? Right. How do I improve? Yeah. How do I get to the next, whatever? Yeah. And he was like, honestly, question. you're like the highest level, highest paid person in this department. And for most of the office, you're overpaid as it is. And it was about an hour. Yeah. With an accounting degree. And like I had gone above and beyond. Like this is the same job at which I was like, I have way more capacity to do things right. for you. And even almost like automated uh two days a week out of somebody's job. Yeah. With Excel and VBA. And like and it was like, I don't know. Twenty bucks an hour, you're overpaid. Yeah, well, they're like, well, we just, you know, our benefits are so good. And I'm just like, yeah, but I can't like afford a mortgage with that. And I like, I don't, there were a lot of things that were worked out pretty well, but I can't imagine finding, I'm sure they pay their people more now. They have to, they wouldn't be able Everyone to. Everyone would have left. <laughs> Everybody would have left. Um, But like, if we hadn't, that first year that my wife and I were married, we had a, an apartment for like 600 bucks a month. Yeah. And can't find that now. That doesn't exist. I the, I guess so. My in-laws, the brother and sister-in-law, are. I think they pay like fifteen hundred or two thousand a month or something like that for an apartment. And, for an apartment or, or a, house. Uh, I think it's a duplex. Okay. Yeah. But it's still like, I know that fourteen fifteen hundred dollars a month isn't cr- isn't crazy for an apartment around here anymore. Yeah, I I think uh, a small single-family home you can rent out according to Zillow for about two grand. Yeah. And I think that we could easily rent our house out for that much. And it's, oh, it's yeah. a starter home. 
Um, Maybe even a little bit more. Especially if, you know, after we get the plumbing fixed. That'll be great. Not this point. But that's happening next week, so that's exciting. You didn't go to Hawaii on it, so I'm disappointed in you. We're going to North Carolina instead. Well, at least you're going somewhere. Yeah, we're going to visit my wife's parents and extended family over there. And Dr. Kyle? And Dr. Kyle, yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing his family and nice. him. So we're he's going to uh, night shift like the day after we get there, or two days after we get there, so we're... Getting in, saying hi, hey mom and dad, and then, and then we're gonna drive four hours away, uh, or th- three, something like that, to uh, to visit that family. So I'm I'm excited. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we've gotten just uh, just a tad off topic. Um, yeah. Well, we were just yeah we were just at so we went passion mentorship working towards ownership and then the one you brought up avoiding debt mm-hmm. um which i listened to another podcast that actually um goes the other direction with this but not entirely so we can come back to that or i can talk about that right now if you'd like yeah go for it talk talk about debt right now right now so what this other podcast was saying is that when you have an unstable currency situation the best way to become wealthy is actually to acquire debt or get debt mm. to acquire assets that you can use as collateral for more debt to acquire more assets. They can use it as collateral to require more debt to require more assets. And that's the way you get wealthy with a really unstable currency. Because with an unstable currency, the way you main, the way the government maintains it is by continuing to issue more and more debt at a lower and lower rate. And so that causes asset prices to rise. So Okay, but where that falls apart is at a certain point... It crashes. But then you have assets. Is that your point? Yes. So the trick is making sure... So you're shorting the U.S. economy. What's that? I said you're trying to short the U.S. economy. Is that... No, you're not trying to short. You're actually going long for a short duration. Huh. Okay. All right. Sorry. I keep interrupting. So you're hoping that when the music stops, you haven't just taken out a bunch of debt. So when you're doing those cycles of debt, buy asset, let asset appreciate, get more debt, buy bigger asset, let asset appreciate, you're hoping you're in one of those cycles where the asset has been wildly appreciating, not you just got a bunch of debt for an overvalued asset. So it's far more risky. Yeah, no thanks. That doesn't sound very fun. And it isn't fun. And it is like, that was the interesting thing about this podcast is a guy was saying, this is contrary to how human psychology naturally works. There's a reason we don't think this is a good idea because ultimately it isn't. But if you want to get super wealthy in an environment in a financial environment like the one we have, the way to do that is by accumulating debt to get acquire assets. But if a thousand people do that, there's a good chance that I think 700 end up in the category where they have just purchased a wildly overpriced asset. So then they default go bankrupt and they're in the same situation as everyone who is working $20 an hour 
for great benefits. Fair point. I think you have to find some kind of middle ground because I at least have no capacity for uh, risk like that. I have no appetite for it. Okay, so I'm working. I have acquired, let's say I've acquired the assets I want to acquire. Mm -hmm. Even if I get paid more than I'm already making, my house payment doesn't go up. Mm -hmm. My car payment, which is nothing because I drive a beater, also does not go up. Currently. My <laughs> my payment, even if I purchase a Toyota Tundra or Tacoma, also does not go up because I would have already been under contract. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so so that's where it like falls apart. And the only things that really go up, I could basically all of my discretionary income, I could almost make to I could make really small if I wanted to. Partially because of how many people I have to feed and our ongoing expenses. I think that I think that Biden's going to make it so I don't have to pay uh, my student loans here in a couple weeks if I don't want to. I've still been paying them. We're almost out of student loan debt, which is nice. I'm trying to remember. Did we talk about how I technically wouldn't have to pay for internet at our house? No, that seems unfair, Kyle. Because I technically suffered. So the only reason I know about this is when we got new internet at our house, I mm -hmm. was. I was told by the internet service provider, oh, you should get the more expensive internet because the government will pay for it anyway. And I said, no, I'm not interested in doing that. <laughs> but, but, but the, yeah. What a slimy person. And that's, that's also how the rest of this feels to me is that it feels very like, I don't want to live in a world where people take advantage that way. Right. But go on. But I know we do. But anyway, yeah. okay. So internet service <laughs> ISP says, yeah, says here's what you should this. do. And I went, no, I'm not. I'm going to pay for the cheapest internet myself. But I was curious, like, because I was thinking, well, obviously I don't qualify. I have a good job. Mm -hmm. I I just, there's no way I qualify. So I go on, on, on the site and look. And lo and behold, not only do I qualify, but I could qualify into the unforeseeable future. Why is that, Kyle? Because... I suffered a financial hardship in 2020. What? Because when I left my previous H. employer, I was technically laid off. Uh-huh. And because I was laid off for a week before starting the job that I had already accepted before I got laid off, mm -hmm. I suffered a quote-unquote financial hardship in 2020. Where do I go for this? <laughs> And because I suffered a financial hardship, yes, you also suffered a financial hardship in 2020. So so you could qualify for – well, actually, I don't think you can anymore. So the, the deal was if you applied for this in any time up until December 31st, 2021, you not only got $50 a month for internet, but you were grandfathered in to the new – federal money that paid for internet for 2022 and as long as the money lasts. I do not understand why you did not tell me about this until now. I'm really hurt. That you couldn't be a slimy, slimy toad. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I wish I could be slimier. That's, that's the way to get ahead. Maybe I should just, I don't know, go buy a bunch of assets that I can't afford. And <laughs> hopefully, hopefully my payments can make them. That's one of the things I didn't really like about the four-hour work week. Talk uh -huh. about affording the lifestyle that you want through payments. 
He was like, just lease it. I'm like, uh-huh. that's weird. I don't want to do that. Anyway. I don't know. What would you call Squarespace? I'm I'm paying for a service. They could take it down and then I wouldn't pay for it. Right. But I mean, that's a lease. No. How, how do you see it as being different? I'm paying for use of a product. I think it's just so far out of the class that a car is a vehicle. I don't, if Squarespace went down, I would have, if the Squarespace said, you can't use our service anymore. I'd be like, uh-huh. I'd be pretty bummed. Um, we'd figure something out though. If I was leasing a car and they said, this is ours now, uh-huh. we're taking it back. Um, I wouldn't be able to get to work. Right. Well, you could lease a different car. Yeah, presumably. But if I, the other thing I think is that if I needed to cut costs, Squarespace mm-hmm. is something I could cut. If you need to cut costs and you're leasing a car, that's non-negotiable because that's how you get it. Like you have to have a vehicle in America to get a job in suburbia, at least in Vancouver. It's very difficult to get a job where you can't, where you have to like bike or walk. Right. True. I guess I was thinking more of the economic model. The economic model is I, I pay a fee at a, not to own the product, Mm-hmm. but to have access to the use of the product as long as I'm paying the th- There are some similarities between leasing and software as a service. They're just, there are a lot of dissimilarities in my opinion as well, or at least some, I don't know. Because if I like say I was to hang out my shingle as a mechanical engineer, I would need to either buy a license for a CAD tool mm-hmm. or pay for it as a service. And I could not, I couldn't work unless I did one of those two things. I couldn't work as a mechanical engineer unless I did one of those two things. So it's still software as a service. Mm. Um, and I, I guess I bring up that because it bridges, it kind of bridges the gap between the car and the square space where. Yeah. I guess, I mean, there's a certain quantity that makes up a quality. If that makes sense, like renting a, Renting a building feels different to me than renting a car feels different than me from renting. We pay like, it's like 15 or whatever bucks a month Mm -hmm. feels different than paying a monthly subscription to a app that I use on my phone. Oh, I, I don't, I'm not saying it, it doesn't feel different or shouldn't feel different. And you're just saying it's the same business model, right? Yeah. I don't want to agree with you, but I will for now. How's that? Because, I mean, I would be paying 150 to $200 a month for that CAD burger. Yeah, yeah. And that feels more like a car. You know, you you were talking about that bridging the gap between the two. And that does feel more similar because you, it's, I mean, I guess a lot of people do make money with, you know, using Squarespace though. Like that's a, it's a, a business expense that they have, that they need, that they can't really do their job without. Yeah, if you're running, I mean, any number of online businesses. If, if we were supporting ourselves with this, it would be <laughs> essential um, if we were making more than $2.80 a quarter or whatever. $2.80 a year, buddy. A year. Okay. <laughs> so far. It's almost a coffee. <laughs> it, it's coffee if you don't get a honey latte. That's true. It was my coffee. A dri- we, it's, it's, a, it's a small drip coffee. It is. It is a for sure a small drip coffee. What's that? With tax. In the great state of Washington. Um. Man, I really forgot how tall you were. 
<laughs> well, I'm glad we can get together to, to so I could remember. So you could remember how tall I am. Yeah, no, I talked to David about it, and he's like, "Yeah, Kyle's really tall. He's like one of the few people who I do not feel tall around." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, well, my brother-in-law makes me feel short. So what? How tall is he? He's like six seven. And how tall are you? Six four. Okay. All right. Well, if I hugged him, my, my head would be right at his chest. He'd be like, you know, yeah. He's that's big. He looks pretty funny when he. <laughs> I met uh, there's one guy I know that's he's yeah he's like six four and his wife is like I don't know maybe maybe you know if she wears her hair up five foot <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's just like I mean. Huh. <laughs> They're happy together. They've been together for a long time now. It's just like it's just a little funny. But so yeah, never... <laughs> getting back to <laughs> after that diversion. Okay. Um and let's stay, let's stay of, on topic, hey of, Kyle. Avoiding debt. Yeah, let's avoid debt. Unless you don't want to. And then don't. Unless you don't want to unless you want to take the risk, then acquire debt to trade for assets. Don't acquire debt and trade it for knickknacks that's that's a really that 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 will not make you rich well okay are bitcoins assets or knickknacks um it depends on your perspective okay some people they're knickknacks some people they're worse than knickknacks and some people think they're assets can i can i tell you a quote from charlie munger that i read today well warren buffett thinks they're rat poison charlie munger said uh financial analysts or financial traders uh, trading in Bitcoin is like somebody saying, well, everybody else is trading poop, so I don't want to be left out. <laughs> and I think someone in replying to Buffett made some derogatory comment about, uh, oh, actually it was Mark Andreessen, the founder of Andreessen Horvitz, the uh, venture capital firm okay. in uh, Silicon Valley. He made a snide remark about listening to financial advice by old white guys who don't understand technology mm. when when asked about Buffett's comments about Bitcoin. That's fun. Okay, so don't get into that unless you want to. Buy assets if you do, not yes. knickknacks. But that is not the point of this book. The, the point of this book says just avoid debt because okay. he's not interested in becoming super wealthy. He's interested in financial stability. Mm. Okay. Which is probably more along the lines we're both thinking. Yeah. Um, also along those lines, Instead of hyperscale or blitz scale, it says build trust one customer at a time hmm. because the real product of any business is trust. Okay. And along, along those lines, let your work speak for itself. So instead of relying on marketing, just build your business by word of mouth, people seeing what you, what you do because of the way it it stands out for its quality. Yeah. And then uh, building on that, literally focus on repeat business. Yeah. This, uh, this summer we were bidding, I would say between all three of us, we were probably bidding like four projects a week, roughly. Mm -hmm. And got none of them almost. We were not okay. doing so great. There's a lot of things that we were kind of, that we had traction on. Mm -hmm. um, but 
it was pretty disheartening to lose bid after bid after bid. Yeah. Um, somebody else at our company, the person who was deciding what bids we were taking, we kind of had a restructure. He took a step back and somebody else kind of took that particular role. Somebody who has maintained a lot of the relationships that we have. And this month I am bidding four projects personally, Mm -hmm. three, four. I'll probably bid two more. There will probably be two other little ones that I end up bidding. Um, which is significantly less than four a week or as a, as a group, even four a week. Um, but we've been getting almost all of them and they're almost all relationship based as opposed to just, we see this thing. And so we're going to go after it. We're going to follow gonna, the numbers. Follow the money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're like, interesting. There's, there's basically like three or four general contractors that we are bidding what they want us to. And, it's such a different pace. It's so, it's so weird after the like hecticness and franticness of the summer. So that was, that just, that one that you shared with me resonates or yeah, really, I just see that in practice right now. Yeah. So, um, what, what about you? Have you had experience with some of these? Um, not really just, just, I mean, at least I'm always on the, I've always been on the, um, I guess the production end as opposed, or I guess I've been on the consumption end as opposed to the con- production end. Hmm. So I, I consume other, other companies, um, ability to make parts. And then I design, design using their parts and okay. then someone else sells and has that hmm. relationship with the customer. Oh, I see. So hmm. as far as my, role goes it's it's kind of it is specialized in that in that way but i mean i can relate to for example when i um found the church in in portland where i met my wife it was the 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 relationships i had built in moscow with a couple guys who grew up at that church really um, paved the way for me to end up becoming a member there. Yeah. Whereas I'd visit, I visited plenty of other churches, but I didn't have any relationship that drew me there. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's not a, a business example, but it is an example of how trust and relationships um, are a lot stronger than just having the best, website or um putting out tracks around easter and stuff like that <laughs> you're saying the tracks aren't what got you to go to that that uh that church no that's it yeah that, that's a good point though is that um yeah i mean relationships count for count for a lot and you know if there were obvious mismatches between even if you had the best you know one of your best friends went there right uh and an example of that would be the church that I essentially grew up going to. There were mm-hmm. a lot of relationships there, but at a certain point, I identified some pretty substantial differences right. in in theology between myself and and kind of what the church was mm-hmm. all about. And so, um, yeah, it. Uh, so then I started going to another church, and 
here we are. Um, actually, on that on that front, so my wife and I are. I don't know. I don't know how excited I am about this, but um, we're doing it. So we're gonna start going to. So we go to. We've been going to Gray City, and we yeah. wanted to try it out for a while. And yeah, it then, seems like a month. You you want to try a church at least for a month. Yeah, and so we've been there probably it. for six weeks now, six, eight weeks. Okay. Somewhere in there. And then we're going to start going to, uh, does, what's the one that you recommended? Grace URC. Oh, the, the church that planted, the church that you no, uh, Peace URC, excuse yeah. me. So the Peace URC that's in Vancouver. Oh. Right? I thought you'd already visited there for a while. We did. Um, we mostly visited there on Sunday nights. And then they started going to mostly Sunday mornings. Okay. And we didn't go. So it took a little while to get kind of actually plugged in at Grace City. Uh-huh. But at Grace URC. Peace. It, excuse me. Peace URC. It's very confusing because you've been going to Grace City. Yeah. And then Grace URC planted Peace URC, which is the one you were actually visiting because it's uh-huh. in Vancouver, not in Milwaukee. Right. Uh, PCURC, uh, is one, like our community, it's right, it's right here. Like it's four minutes from our house. So that's. Oh, cause they're meeting in like a auto shop or something. Mm, it is not an auto shop, but they're meeting in, uh, they're renting space from a business. Yeah. I think it actually might be somebody who I went to high schools with dad who oh, really? built the building and now they're renting a, I think. I'm not 100% sure. I got to figure it out. But he goes to one of the other churches that we visited. Okay. But the other church that we visited was Living Water. Uh And PCURC rented, well, didn't rent, borrowed is more like it, space from Living Water. But he goes there. So it's definitely possible. But I just made that connection in my head. Anyway, but they really wanted to meet Sunday mornings because when you think of church... A lot of it's Sunday mornings. And I think I remember from conversations with people, it was like two thirds of the people had gone to church in the morning right. down in Milwaukee and then, yeah. and then, but were from Vancouver. And so then went yep. to anyway. So, um, but everybody at PCURC was super friendly. Like there was almost no effort for us to be friended by people. Yeah. There's some great people for sure. And, um, they're not just, tolerant of infant baptism i think they practice it definitely that is and that's so that's a big draw for my wife is that um when lord willing we have children um that that that's something that she wants to do and while at grace city they would not make my wife get baptized as an adult i don't know that they would allow us to they have a different view of children they have a different view of children. They're separated, which is more common for evangelical churches than United Reformed churches. Although, I don't know. Yeah, I guess during the service, I remember there being quite a few kids. Like I would for, expect so. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, at your church, do they like, do they sit for singing and then are they ever, like, are your kids with you the whole time? They're with us the whole time, yeah. Okay. That's that's true at every church I've ever, ever gone to. Hmm. If you were at a church that I you were keep visiting, them in the cl- I would keep them with me. You would keep them with you? Yeah. Gosh, it's almost like you knew what I was going to ask. Yep. 
Well, well, I mean, go and finish your question. Like, no, no, that was totally it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, huh, would you? And then that, I don't know, that makes me think of this. Um, I was in, at the church I used to go to, there was this, I, I, I think that knowing now or like being, having gone to churches where it's really typical, like that's the norm is to keep kids with you the whole time. And if they have a separate service, it's before the main service. Right. Um, but anyway, there was this family that was basically passing this kid back and forth, back and forth. And it was just bawling. Uh huh. And the past, like, it was so loud. The pastor basically was like, there's a, there's, there's a, a cry room. There's a, a, no, he didn't say there's a cry room. He said, we have a wonderful children's ministry. Uh, but knowing what I know now, I'm like, well, that actually is just like, that's just kind of on the adults to like, take the kid out of right. the service. That's yeah. That's how it's always done i mean we there was one there was one sunday when we forgot the girls uh blankets oh okay you didn't forget the girls you forgot their blankets no we forgot their blankets it would have been a lot quieter if we forgot the girls (laughs) but we there was almost no time during from about the time the sermon started to the end of the service either my wife or i or both of us were out of our seats in the back trying to calm down one of our daughters. What did, what did you do with um, the others? If you um, both were back At there? one point we, we left the infant in <laughs> his car seat and he was the only one in our row for a little while, but <laughs> there was, he was sleeping and there are people that's we fine. trust around. So yeah, whatever works, man. That's just, that's, and you know what? Yeah. That's how it goes. We have not forgotten their blankets since. You know what? That's good. Sounds like you learned your lesson. We did. Huh. Okay. Well, are there any other... So there's there's one thing that I do want to talk about from that mm-hmm. from that list. Did you get to the end of it? There were there are two more. Um, one is... Uh, the, the eighth one is to practice multiple overlapping trades. The idea being mm-hmm. don't become over-specialized and have your sole source of income dry up. I mean, he kind of exemplifies this in how... They run their farm, which has multi- they have animals and um, plants. Mm-hmm. I think they have an orchard there, and yeah. then they also do workshops from time to time where people come in and learn about it. I don't know. I don't know if they run like a petting zoo too or something like that. But and then he'll work as a software developer too. Sure. So kind of he has a very diversified stream of income, or his family has a very diversified stream of income. And so if they don't have to completely tighten their belts, if one of those things dries up yeah. and then the final thing, which I'm not sure what I think about this entirely. He, he says to think generationally, which I was, I was actually talking to James's dad on Sunday about not this specifically, but just um, balancing work and family in general and he, he, he just sort of volunteered the comment that uh, he's, he was glad that he hadn't tried to, or at various times he thought about trying to start a business that his kids could take over one day. And then he thought, well, if my dad had started a business, I wouldn't have wanted to take it over. And, and looking mm-hmm. at what his sons have done, he went, or, and his daughter too, like. What, is, what does he do? He, he's a, James's dad. Uh-huh. He's a quality engineer. So he, he's responsible for making sure 
that the quality and reliability of the products matches the customer expectations. Okay. I thought for some reason he did something similar to what James does, but he doesn't. No. And and that's just the thing is you've got four kids, four totally different interests Mm -hmm. that are different from their dads and their moms for that matter. Yeah. And so he was just saying, you know, I could have built this thing that my kids, none of my kids were interested in doing and it would have been kind of sad um, yeah. if that I, was his goal. I knew somebody who, oh, sorry, were you finished? Um, the, only, the only thing I was going to add to that is I like his emphasis on having productive ways for the kids to be involved mm-hmm. in what the family does. Yeah. But I I don't think I go with him all the way with his emphasis on making it something – I guess I like a second thing about it. And the second thing is thinking about what assets I'm building that I can pass on to my kids because Proverbs does talk about how a good man um, save, has an inheritance not just for his children but for his children's children. And so when I think about that, um, both both having uh, ways for the kids to be a productive part of the household and um, setting up the household in such a way that um, my wife and I are providing for our children's children, Lord willing, um, those are both really good ways to think. I don't necessarily think it's um, I guess I don't know what I think yet about trying to raise up the kids to take over whatever it is I'm doing that, or my wife and I are doing that yeah, seems sure. a little bit presumptuous. Yeah. That's actually exactly the word I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah. So I know a business owner who is currently trying to take over what his dad built Uh huh. and it's, you know, he's worked there since he was 15 or 16. Okay. And um, I think that if he did not have that, he would have found something that he was much better uh, suited to. And that was exactly James's dad's point. Is He's trying really hard. Uh-huh. He just hates, like, he needs to hire somebody. He's not to passionate do about it. He's, no, he, he, he does care. <laughs> the but thing is, he... is that he's. The, the things that he really enjoys doing that are part uh-huh. of the business, he thinks he those are like rewards for the parts he enjoys or the parts that he has to do, which he doesn't have aptitude for. Okay. Like he doesn't have the sense or the the step back kind of for the like he's not he's not a fantastic manager. Mm-hmm. He he gets too involved in all the little details. He doesn't he, he doesn't manage he wants to he wants to do something and do it really well right he's it's a it's a little peculiar to see somebody who's probably 10 years older than me who is like this is a very good technical worker but not someone with a management mindset Uh i think that he like he's making it work but he he's a higher president so he can be the cto he does really really he would the business would do significantly better. Um, he might not make as much money though. Um, I think in the in the long run the business would be worth more. He could he could make more. 
right. but it's a risk and he's even more risk averse than I am. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only other kind of bone I had to pick with that list is do something that you're passionate about. Kind of the first one. Yeah. I, my problem with that is that especially for somebody who is entering the workforce, they've got no idea. They're just graduated high school. I mean, especially if there's someone who isn't wanting to take on debt, it's like, well, they're entering the workforce at 18. You, I think when you're starting out, especially like when I was in high school, would I have any idea that I would enjoyed working in spreadsheets? No, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. none. Part of the reason that I like it so much is because I'm good at it. And Cal Newport talks about that in Be So Good They Can't Ignore You. Mm-hmm. Um, find something that you don't dislike and try a bunch of different things. And right. you might hit on something that you're passionate about. But one of the things that he like points out is like, well, what do you, you know, what do you enjoy doing most? For a lot of people, it's like, I enjoy relaxing, hanging out with friends and uh, reading books and playing video games. And there are definitely some people who have made some of those things careers. I know somebody actually, a good friend of mine, who's a professional gamer and announcer at this point. Um, and he like owns a house outright. And like, well, I think is, I don't know. He's, he's figured out ways to make it work for him. He's, but he's, he's in entertainment now. He's not a professional, professional, professional gamer. Like he doesn't just compete and then make his money off of that. Although he did that for a time. Um, but yeah, I like, I don't, I guess that one kind of pricks me a little bit because it's like, and it, it pricked me a little bit that way we too, because okay. I've definitely heard, heard and thought plenty about, well, I mean, did we read, have you read grit by Angela Duckworth? No, I have tried though. Okay. That's kind of ironic, but <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't, I just couldn't muster my way through it. I like, I've, you know. I've started, I've started, yeah, it's just like, it's too sandy. I like get into it and sand falls out of the pages and I'm just like, ah. no, uh, I don't know. I think I started and then I was like, I don't know if it was the narrator's voice. Maybe I'd need to try going, going back through it again. Oh, you're listening point. to it? I think so. Okay. It might be one of those books where you can read it in, in an hour or two. And I think you could go find a YouTube video that describes it. Yeah. Maybe I wouldn't even make it through that though. Anyway, so you... But um, that book talking about exactly what Cal Newport says and so good they can't ignore you, you, you practice something that you're good at and, as, and that um, proficiency leads to success, which leads to enjoyment yeah. and delight. Um, one of the things that I think kind of redeems this point is he had his sentence at the end, uh, turning turning their vision into a reality is a much stronger draw than potential financial benefits. So if you look at this as a not so much a oh think about what you enjoy doing most and go do that, but instead as a I have something that I can create a compelling vision for and something that I think will make me a lot of money. Which should I do? The 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 business opportunity or the startup opportunity, the trade that that someone can create the most compelling vision for 
is probably the best option for them or a better option for them than the trade or startup that they think will will have the best um, financial reward. Maybe. I'm not convinced. You can you can keep trying to convince me or I can have a have a think about it. I I mean, I think it's fair to not be convinced. I'd be interested to hear you you expand on that a little. Yeah, so I guess so my mindset is probably geared specifically towards people who are starting out. Cuz oh, I feel okay. like that's who this is kind of aimed at. Um I feel like this is geared towards people who have this 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 guy is kind of in the same vein as um uh was it shopcraft as soulcraft or yeah 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 so so it's it's someone who's worked out in the corporate world for a little bit they have a young family and mm. they're they're kind of casting about for my 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 job feels like it's kind of here today gone tomorrow What's something that I could do that has a more enduring quality to it? Yeah. Well, with that in mind as the audience, then perhaps I my disagreements kind of disappear. I think there's real value, though, in grinding it out for a few years when you're starting mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And the other thing you mentioned was, was trying different things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In- intentionally trying different things, not just going, this is hard. I'm going to go do something else. But like you said, grinding it out. Yeah. Yeah. Grinding just for, just for a little while while you figure things out, like having some kind of stable base where it's like, I can, I can go in a couple different directions and understand that that first job, that first few jobs are probably not going to be where you end up long term. And, and yeah, being, I think one thing I wish I would have done, I wish I would have done that a little bit more. Um, done what? Intentionally tried different. I, I was I was so nervous to not find another job, probably in part because a people people a few years before me graduated in like 2007, 2008. That right. was my, kind of my sister's cohort. Yeah. And I saw that group of people really struggle to find jobs for a time. And that scared me. And so when even when I graduated a few years later, it was like I found a good job that had good benefits that paid a whole $20 an hour. What am I going to do with all this money kind of kind of job? <laughs> right. Pay for gas. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, back then it was I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't crazy like low. It was it was livable. Uh-huh. Um and it's kind of weird to say that because I don't know that $20 is livable now or less. I mean, it's maybe it is. I guess it if depends you, on what kind of life you're renting. Yeah. It depends, on your fa- it depends on your life situation. I mean. Yeah. I mean, as you're a, renting as a room a, in a house, that's totally doable. Well, I mean, you could even, if you were to scrimp and save, like you could make that work for renting an apartment by yourself. If you really wanted to, you would just live pretty meagerly and um that's not a good long-term not a good long-term deal um to be living interesting just talking about hourly wages Mm -hmm. i was i was asking my wife's grandpa about kind of his journey starting out 
when when he he started working and he, he worked a number of jobs as a machinist um well not even as a machinist i think he worked at, at boeing as as an assembler he, he he said he had the title of machinist but it was really just an assembly job and at the time i want to say it was yeah he so he was working as he started out working at his dad's sawmill but his dad's rule was as soon as he graduated from high school he had to find a different job and he was making two dollars and ten cents an hour at the sawmill and so his new job was like a dollar seventy five a dollar eighty an hour at boeing and um by the time I think he got married to my wife's grandma about five years after he graduated from high school. And at the time he was working as a machinist for between two and three dollars an hour. They bought their first house. And it when we were adding it up, his annual take home was about just uh, was just under five grand a year that much but the house cost fifty five hundred what huh so, so at that time, i should there was make a, roughly yeah. what my house is worth a year yeah <laughs> no seriously like yeah, that's so, what inflation has done to asset prices huh so if we can afford a bigger house now is the time to get it yes hmm i don't know because like our house keeps going up as well, right? Yeah, but it goes up as a percentage, right? Sure. So a percentage so of a bigger make, percentage. You make more money, whole dollars. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's not very fun to have bigger payments, and then it's part riskier. of it is what well, it is riskier. And I, as I said before, do not have a super high appetite for risk. I did not pick a particularly good industry for that. Um, <laughs> That is true, actually. That is construction a good tends to be a little thing for you to think about because if things go sideways with your house value, they're also going sideways with your job value in your industry. Uh no. Because we work commercial only. We don't do any residential. Although there's that way, no, it could trickle through eventually. I guess what I've what I've been told, maybe you've told me this. I know I've heard it from other people too, but that commercial precedes residential often by about two years. Oh, I do feel like I've heard that. Maybe I've even said that on this podcast. It's possible. Hmm. I've also hmm. heard it from other people. Yeah. Thing is, is that there's so many projects out to bid right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not particularly worried. Um, I mean, I did say we were bidding fewer, but we've had we've Part had of that is big... a paradigm shift. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I don't know. Hopefully you and I start making money at this because this is one of my other income streams. <laughs> well, speaking of other income streams, should we should we go through some of the trades that he lists out? Yeah. Yeah. We so should. he has a top twenty. Top, I can just top read 20. those. Pick your five pick five from that. Pick five. Your five favorite um, Kyle. Or the ones that start one with a. that probably neither of us qualify for is midwife. No, I would be a mid husband. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> that's a thing for some reason. Hey, um, that was not a particularly good joke. I apologize. So there's there's gardener, and and the interesting thing about gardener is he actually includes people like arborists or or vine dressers in that. 
Hmm. So the idea is, whereas a farmer, another another one of the trades, works on works with large equipment on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. I mean, large equipment could include a plow. So it's not like large mechanized equipment, but larger equipment. A gardener works with hand tools on plants. Yeah. Okay. So then there's woodworker and carpenter are both. Oh yeah. Options as well. It's kind of a similar thing where the where the car, where woodworker is working more with hand tools, oh. and then the carpenters working with. Are they like framers? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Carpentry um, is carpentry is interesting as a trade. It's it's a catch all for many many things. Right. He's also got brewer in here, innkeeper. Um, I could tutor. see it's being able to help with that. Being an What's like that? a an innkeeper. Yeah, you're cleaning out, mm-hmm. grabbing sheets off beds, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, tutor or a counselor. I mean, th- there are similarities there, I guess. Tutor is more you're, you're working long-term with, with someone, teaching them, whereas a counselor is intended to um, help someone at- attain a specific goal in a certain amount of time. Then there's also author and butcher. Is another one. Okay. Hmm. Is there any of those that you... So none of these are um, mechanical engineer, I noticed. Yeah. So he... he I'm, I, I, I didn't read... Like I said, I didn't really read this. I more skimmed through it. I think he I, mentions at some point... Okay. So, so I think it has to have been practiced for 200 years in order to get into this list. Well... Uh, engineers have been around for more than 200 years. Maybe not mechanical engineers. Yeah, mechanical engineers. Well, oh, I guess I'm thinking of architects. Yeah, he does have architect in here, but that's uh, in the honorable mentions. Oh, doesn't even make the top list. No. Hmm. And I think that has to do with how family friendly it is. Ah. <clears throat> yeah, not not particularly like little Jimmy. Do you want to make these calculations? Are you yeah. sure that the rebar is... Well, I guess it wouldn't be rebar. Are you sure that the bridge is going to hold? Make sure you sketch in this one-by-one one square. I don't... That doesn't... I don't get that. Oh, I just... Not in the one-by-one one square necessarily, but just really precise lines. Oh, yeah, Laying yeah, yeah. out the blueprint. Okay. Here's how you hold the mouse. Nowadays, that's what it would be. That's um, true. Yeah. Well, cool. That's a, That is a book that I would... It seems like uh, it's got a lot of positive reception. I might be interested in reading the first couple chapters and what it has to say about some of the people that I bump into. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty straightforward book. I, I think it's, like I said, I view it as more of an encyclopedia. So mm-hmm. he goes through his different, um, he kind of gives a short summary of the well were there any that you'd like me to kind of read some excerpts from any any of those uh trades yeah do you want me to read woodworker i do yep that was that was actually going to be the one thought it might be uh how long is the like how how far how long does he write about each trade it's about woodworker is a longer one actually but it's only five Actually, it's five pages. It's not that long. Okay. Each one's four or five pages. 
gotcha. until you get the honorable mentions. Then some of them are really short, like a couple pages, a page. Okay. But for the top twenty, so he's got a he's got a quote. So um, under woodworker, he has cabinet maker, finished carpenter. And the quotes from First Kings six eighteen: The inside of the temple was cedar, carved with gourds and open flowers. Everything was cedar; no stone was to be seen. So he's 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 including quotes that place the trade in antiquity or history. Okay. So he starts off with just a description of what they do. Woodworkers produce a variety of products by cutting, shaping, and assembling wood. Um. He describes some of the things that woodworkers can do for profit, including custom interiors, like built-ins, wardrobes, staircases, cabinets, um, also furniture and artistic pieces. So so he, he says the difference between carpentry is that uh, carpentry is more rough and cuts can be off by little, whereas they must be exact with woodworking. That is not true. Um, I mean, not to a degree, right? Uh, with woodworking, some, I mean, you don't plan your pieces to the, you know, to the 16th or 32nd or something. And then if you mm. get them wrong, it's like, well, got to find another piece of wood, to make it work. Oftentimes you, if you're off by a little bit, it's like, okay, well, how does that affect these other different things? Um, and a lot of times you can, yeah, it's just, uh, a lot of times you're not you're not cutting to an exact dimension. You're cutting to an exact other thing. I, mean, I guess maybe it does still have to be pretty exact. I mean, what you just said there, I I, I think that's consistent with what he's not saying that you must cut everything. I don't think he's saying that you must cut everything to the exact sixteenth or thirty second. He's okay. saying that with word working, everything fits together perfectly. Ah, uh, I see. Whereas with carpentry, you look at the framing on a house and it's like, oh, there's a gap there and the board is not quite every two feet. And then every frame will be like, yeah, but nobody sees it. So who cares? Exactly. (laughs) Whereas woodworking, it's expected that that's going to be seen. You're Mm -hmm. going to see that cabinet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And if it looks like it was done by a carpenter, um, which is actually why I was more interested in the carpentry than woodworking. Because I'm far more of a get something together that works than mm-hmm. make something exact and beautiful kind of yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. The, uh, um, objection withheld then. <laughs> or retracted. <laughs> retracted. So he uh, – I think he goes through – oh, he, he mentions it's a $54 billion industry in 2009. So then he goes – and I don't remember how he – gets these percentages, but he mentions historical, he gives it a 68% for historical stability. Um, basically because there will always be people who want one of kind furnishings. And so there'll always be some kind of demand. Um, resiliency, 55%. Uh, this is, he says, because custom cabinetry becomes even less in demand when there's a downturn in the housing market, because while people may still pay for a house, they aren't going to pay for, there aren't going to be as many people looking for a custom house. Um, family centeredness, 91%. Um, because there are so many opportunities for family members to work together, whether it's sanding, painting, or working with customers. 
Although power tools and complex machinery would be handled by adults, there are still many woodworking tools in use, such as sandpaper, that are safe and easy for children to use. There's also almost all, anything that you can think of that can be done with a power tool can also be done without a power tool. Right. And um, one of the things that I... Even so, I don't think I'd give my son a saw quite yet. Yeah, but how uh, when he's eight, you might. That's true. Or you could give him a hammer. <laughs> like he could probably, yeah. my nephew is two and his dad gives him a hammer uh-huh. or he's two and a half. Um, and oh, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's just talked about it. Did you give him a mallet? I can see a mallet. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so there's, I mean, you might not give him a saw, but I know, yeah, I mean, like you can, you can do chisel, like all, all the things that you would think of. Mm-hmm. That you could do that you're like, oh, the power tool would be too dangerous. Even planing. It's like Oh, a hand planer, yeah, that'd be totally For yeah. I mean, for, you might go too far, but <laughs> you aren't gonna hurt the kid. You're not going to maim the kid. You could hurt him. I've cut myself pretty good with a planer before. Okay. Um, but they're probably not gonna be using as much force as me. Yeah. And I was really excited and just got a little too gung ho about it. <laughs> Put anyway. a little bit of yourself in that piece of wood. Yeah. It's blood, sweat, and tears. No, there's actually, that's my blood. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this beautiful red line in this wood. Um, I want you to stain the whole thing like this. <laughs> income, 60%. Yeah. Score about average for income ranging from 30 to 60K a year. But then ease of entry, 82%. Um, because the cost of tools is generally low and there are no formal education requirements or industry regulations. For woodworking? Yeah. I think you and I actually had this conversation on this podcast. I was listening to it. Because um, you and you I were talking. said it was like four grand or eight grand or something. Yeah. I mean, if you were going to have like a professional, if you were going to have a proper business, like set of tools, I guess it depends on what kind of work you're doing. But yeah, you're probably looking at like eight to $10,000 to produce an income. Well, that wouldn't even buy. So, so remember, you're thinking about cost compared to other professions. Sure. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so, like, to buy a CNC mill for metal, you're going to be quickly over 20k for oh, one really? for one tool. Hmm. That's not including uh, measurement blocks. That's not including all of the cutters you're going to need. Yeah, just... I'm going to I'm going to have to look at I'm going to I'm going to price out some like if I was going to buy everything for a shop. Yeah, because I've I've been throwing around that number eight to ten thousand dollars to do it. And I'm just really curious if that's even if that's close. Well, think about it this way. You spent more than twice of that twice in that on your plumbing. Yeah, no, no, no. But if it's like, OK, if it's actually like what if it's only six? Uh-huh. What if it's twenty, right? I think I could. I think I could do a little bit of research and figure out what I would need to open up a woodworking shop if I really wanted to. And if you your baseline is thirty k a year income, yeah. I I mean, I guess I'd have to figure out. You'd also have to figure out what reasonably you could sell products. Like how many? How much would you have to sell of what you like to do? Uh, it doesn't it, it, Yeah. Of what you like to do or like, okay, this is how much I'd have to 
I'd have to sell one of these projects a week. Is that reasonable even? Is there any kind of demand for that on a regular basis? How far would I have to ship it, et cetera, et cetera? Or um, can you just do Facebook market? I mean, there are people who sell bookshelves on Facebook marketplace all the time. Yeah. Like custom bookshelves for like $500. Yeah. And if you can sell one of those a week, then you're at $25,000. But take 30% out for tax. The The thing is, is that I can't live on $30,000 a year. Right. I guess I'm saying relative to what you spent on the tools. Oh, sure, sure, sure. That That's that's the comparison I'm making. Yeah. Well, and even... Yeah, yeah. How much are you investing? What's your return on that? Mm-hmm. Just from a capital expenditure. Obviously, there's time and stuff that's not being counted there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think of like... Yeah. I guess I'm just thinking through that, that question. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, and then relatively the the, low cost to entry. Yep. Okay. Or ease of entry, because it's it also has to. It's not just the cost of entry. It's it's are there any board certifications you have to get mm-hmm. before you can start doing your skill? Are there any? Is there anyone you? Is there any racket you have to pay off? Yeah. In yeah, order yeah. to do your skill. Or uh, a question that Naval might have is: Are there any natural monopolies? And he mentions that that's a downside is there are lots it's there's lots of competition which is why the ah yes but actually for he doesn't mention a natural monopoly but for the dedicate for dedicated craftsmen who build a loyal clientele the work can be steady and long term Mm -hmm. so it's that trust relationship return customer monopoly that he's describing yeah okay and then at the end of each, yeah, at the end of each chapter, he he does a profile on someone who runs one of these businesses, okay, and kind of how they got started, um, what their background is, what they do now, what they enjoy about it, what's what's challenging, that sort of thing. And then they, he includes additional resources, three to three to four um, books, blogs, articles on um, the the given trade. And that's the book. All right, buddy. Well, thanks for sharing uh, Durable Trades by Alan Groves. Rory Groves. I missaid that because the foreword's by Alan Carlson. Oh, Rory. So it's Rory Groves. Rory Groves. So I misspoke earlier. Here, let me try again. Thanks for sharing Durable Trades with Rory Groves. By- <laughs> you said it. I said with. With Rory Groves. Thanks for sharing... Durable Trades by Alan. (laughs) Outtakes. Rory Groves. I'm just going to put that in there. (laughs) You should should make that first part the uh, intro. (laughs) Okay. Done. Deal. (laughs) I just... just, The fact that you didn't even try. No, I just give up. (laughs) Tired. Uh, all right buddy well that was that was a fun conversation absolutely we definitely had some good rabbit trails but they were able to kind of bring it back
Hey guys, Daniel again. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a rating on whatever service you use. If you didn't, there's contact info in the show notes. We'd love to hear your feedback. There's also a link to support us financially if you're so inclined. Thanks so much.